Greetings, I am your host, Tina Clark, and welcome to the second season of my Weirdest Experience podcast. This is the show of the weirdest experience that has ever happened to you and gives you a venue to fully express yourself and share your weirdest story with the world. This is the No Judgment Zone, a safe place to share your experience. And it's also a place where we discuss what happened to you and share some possible theories on what and why this happened. If you would like to be on the show, email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. Hi friends, thanks for listening. This is your host of the Weirdest Experience podcast, Tina Clark. I also wanted to share with you, I have my own energy healing business called Stargazing Angel LLC. I offer energy healing sessions, EFT tapping sessions, tarot readings, and I also offer classes on Reiki, shamanism, and tarot and more. If you're interested in having a session with me, please call 843-695-7218. Or you can email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. You can also check out my website, which is www.tinakinneyclark.com. That's T-I-N-A-K-I-N-N-E-Y-C-L-A-R-K-E. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I have Agape Garcia here. She is the founder of Be Your Incredible Self, and she is a high-performance coach, and she's been coaching since 2016. Agape has been through a lot, a lot. She's a survivor. She's here. She's thriving. So welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure. Yeah, so you, we were chit-chatting before. We started recording and let's start from the beginning because um, you were telling me your background is Puerto Rican. You grew up in Chicago. I grew up in New York. Um, But, you know, your mom gave you up when you were a baby. Wow. Yes. Okay. So um, my background, for the record, um, is not Puerto Rican. It's that that I'm adapted to my environment. <laughs> oh, okay. She's <laughs> okay. She's not actually Puerto Rican, but for those of you out there, when you grow up with a lot of Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, you kind of share a lot with them and understand the culture. So we admire the culture, right? <laughs> Oh my gosh, ciento por ciento. Yo puedo hablar y bailar y cocinar en español. A mí encanta. Okay. Hi, Poppy. Yes. <laughs> Ooh, oh, we're going to get in trouble. <laughs> Epa. Ten cuidado. That's okay. I can take trouble. it. I got some friends who back me up. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's so funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you want me to start with, you had mentioned my mother already. So, okay, I guess we'll start there then. If you um, would I like believe... to, if you would like to talk about that, if not, we can go somewhere else. 
no i'm totally okay. fine with that uh okay. yeah, sure i'm i'm just i'm a guest i'm gonna roll with it okay. uh, <laughs> so when i was two my mother left with another man um she left me and my baby sister um when she when she packed her stuff and and decided to go she left us behind she left us behind in the same environment that she herself was not able to tolerate and she left us there uh shortly after her leaving my sister was diagnosed with cancer after she was diagnosed with cancer she passed away so within a matter of one year my father lost his wife lost his baby girl and then was stuck looking at me so overnight i became i inherited all the voids that a, a parent would typically shelter or protect their their children from and of course at that young age i had no idea what i was in for and so i would say that the trauma began very young and the way that i was able to cope had everything to do with the way that my dad was coping Obviously, back then I had no idea what coping was or any of these things. It's you know the knowledge that I have today, and I would say that my dad did the best that he could with what he knew and what he had, and he chose to work third shift and sleep during the day, so there was minimal interaction between him and I. He was pretty much checked out and living his life the best way he felt that he could or knew how, and that resulted in me being anywhere and everywhere and finding ways to do things other than be home. I would spend my grammar school life at the cemetery doing homework, bonding, you know, with my deceased sister. That was the only place I felt like I had emotional connection. I was participating in every single after-school program available. I was at any uh, extracurricular program that was available at the, at the rec hall in the neighborhood park. And by sixth, seventh, eighth grade, I was already mowing lawns, pulling weeds, washing cars, cleaning houses, watching little kids while moms took a shower or cooked food. And with that, you know, I went to the store and, and purchased things that a little girl needs. And so there was, it, there was a lot of rough areas during that, that point, that adolescence period that period of adolescence in my life and I say that because you know I'm I'm walking to school I'm walking to the park I'm walking home I'm walking to the cemetery I'm out in the streets as a little kid and back then you know there were crossing guards on corners there were more people out in the street and they were looking up there wasn't cell phones there they were they could hear because there wasn't earbuds you know if there were big headphones if that Mm -hmm. And at any rate, you know, as long as I was home by the time the street lights went on, I was okay because I also had to wake up my dad so he could get to work on time because that was also my time to get ready for bed and, you know, prepare for school the next day. So there were so many days and nights I wake up crying just because it's so silent and lonely, you know, that it's loud. And looking back, I realized that as such a, at such a young age, I was, finding ways to cope. I was finding ways to fulfill my voids without even realizing what I was doing. I just stayed engaged. I stayed um, mentally stimulated. I was already having, I already had a work ethic. I already knew the neighborhood. Like I grew up so fast. And, you know, during 
during high school years, I had this attitude about, I know everything. I, I can work. I can feed myself. I know how to get around. I know everybody, you know, in the neighborhood, there's nothing you can tell me. And that, that was, that was quickly squashed because (laughs) number one, you know, by that time, the neighborhood was not as good anymore. And we moved quite often. So at this point I was, you know, what I would call the hood and there were things to get into right outside the door on every corner. If I wanted to, uh, there was plenty of trouble, plenty of trouble, plenty of distractions. And I knew at such a young age that I did not want to be a part of those screens. I, at night, I did not want to be a part of that game banging that I saw out there. I didn't, I just didn't want to be a part of all that. Um, and I would have to say that probably stemmed from my childhood as well, because for the same reasons that my mother left were the same reasons, those were the same similar environments that I was exposed to, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. I already had an understanding. Yeah. So I already had yeah. an understanding of what I was not going to be a part of. And so quickly, um, as a sophomore, I dropped out of high school. I had already met a guy at the park and thought that he was just the best thing ever because he wasn't about the streets and neither was I. So, you know, this is perfect, et cetera. And I, we dated for quite some time. I was in a violent, a teenage, you know, a teen violent relationship. This also stemmed from childhood because, you know, there was a lot of rough housing and CFS was called annually to my, to my home. I was never taken away, but they were called to do their checks. And this was like, violence was the norm. It was at home. It was outside. It was everywhere. In high school, we had to walk through metal detectors to get in. So Mm -hmm. this is nothing new. And I would have to say that specifically in my teenage years, that's where I was blessed with so many mothers. This is where the Puerto Rican moms, the Colombians, the Dominicans, (laughs) this is is where all my, my, my madres came into place, you know? And, you know, there's such a, it's such a loving culture because when they find out, you know, que tu no tiene madre, que tu no tiene padre, that you're just, you know, andando por ahí en la calle, you know, they want to bring you in. They're like, okay, yeah. you know what? No, listen, you need to know, you need to know what's up. Let me tell you what happens out here. And that's something that's very big in not just that culture, but also in the city is that if you don't learn respect from your household, you're going to learn it real quick on the street, whatever you're not taught at home, you will be taught by the street. And that's a very true statement, very true statement. And those women who brought me in, they hate it when I say, I, I appreciate that you, that you brought in strays, you know, <laughs> that you're not a stray and say, well, if you say so, you know, anyways, we go back and forth to this day, you know, I still have all of these beautiful mothers in my life. So that's one thing I, I totally would not change anyways. Um, with this teenage violent relationship, when I, be, when I got pregnant, I knew also that this was not I was not going to be the mother that my mother was. I was not going to be the parent that my father was. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm in a similar situation. I don't want to repeat these patterns. Like if this is the reason why my mother left, then, you know, okay, I get it. I need to, you know, I need to go too. The only thing I didn't get was like, why would you leave your kids? So I knew that's not what I was going to do. Um, at any rate, while, you know, during, during my pregnancy, there was still a lot of violence going on. Um, And after I had my daughter, 
a few months later, actually, um, he decided to actually turn to the streets. And at that point, for me, it was a no brainer. Things were already piling up over, you know, the four or five years that we were together. And that was the icing that, you know, was put on the cake. I, I said, absolutely not. I will not drive in a car worried that somebody saw you in this car and then I get shot or my baby gets shot. I am not going to put our lives in danger for you. Who does it like you're checked out? You're checked out. So that was almost an immediate understanding that I had as soon as I found out the news and mm-hmm. believe it or not, his own mother came to help me pack and get out of the place. We had our own little apartment and everything. We were a cute little family, right? So I ended up going to a basement that had no um, heat. It was just brick walls and cement floor, but I made it a cute little studio and had a bathroom at least. So, you know, my daughter had her crib. I had my day bed. We had a little carpet, a microwave. Like I made it a very comfortable, cute, little clean space that it was peaceful. And obviously that um, did not stop his violence or his determination to, you know, get what he wanted. However, I can say that he did get into enough trouble that he left the States and took off and never looked back. So I thought at that point, the drama was gone. I was, I was relieved. I can raise my daughter on my own. Anyways, I quickly went back to get my GED because I realized that this baby is 100% my responsibility. Nobody paid child support for me. Um, I basically raised myself. My childhood was stripped. I was very mature at a very young age. And so again, I just felt like I knew what I had to do in order to be responsible and provide and protect for my baby. So went back to school. Uh, I started to move every year as well. Like when the lease came up, I was getting further and further outside of the neighborhood and just, you know, changing jobs as well. Just kind of going up the ladder, right? No real vision in mind, just knowing that I had to make enough to cover expenses because I was literally on my own and was not going to get help. So I will fast forward to my twenties and tell you that when I was, you know, 25, 26, 27, I'm thinking I'm on top of the world. I'm out the hood. I have my daughter in school full time across the street. My job's around the corner. My support system is around the corner. I'm no longer mourning every day at the cemetery. I've accepted, you know, what life is. I'm no longer upset with my mother. You know, she did what she had to do. I'm happy that I'm the person that I am because of her. Same thing about my dad, like not even worry, just, you know, forgiving and accepting because I had created my life. I was, I was the epitome of you can create the life you want. And I was surely doing that. And then I met somebody. (laughs) So while I'm now in college, working full time, taking care of my daughter, paying all my bills, you know, got my stuff together. You know, I meet this, this guy and thinking that, you know, Hey, he's, he's got his stuff together too. Back then there was no Facebook and do your, do your background checks and all that kind of stuff. Um, I just knew that I met his family, his friends, his coworkers, everything seemed to be fine. Nothing to really worry about. And so I ended up pregnant, um, for the second time. And during my pregnancy, not only did I have 
chicken pox, but also the extension to move completely on the other side of uh, the United States was offered because his job, he had got a job offer. So the question was posed to me that I want to go or not. And obviously, when you come from the hood, the success story is getting out of the hood. So I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, it didn't take long. However, we had to agree and come up with a plan where you go first and I'll fly out every now and then until we find a place. But we have time. And plus, I have to finish my semester. And plus, I want to wait for, you know, the right timing for my daughter and then, you know, work and everything, packing, all that stuff. So I'm seven months pregnant. I'm driving all the way across country, just my daughter and and I, and takes two and a half days to get there. And it took about three weeks for our items to arrive. I was solely focused during those three weeks, you know, getting my daughter acclimated at her new school, getting familiar with the, with the neighborhood, getting to know who my new doctors are, focusing on, you know, the very near future that's right around the corner. Mm-hmm. And when I'm unpacking my stuff in the best of moods, you know, I come across belongings of another woman. I, I said, what? My eyes are out of my head. My heart is pounding through my chest. I can't even count how fast the beats are pumping. And I was tormented all day behind the thoughts of, you know, what is this? Where is this? What were the conversations that we had? What was going on, et cetera, et cetera. And I decided to play the day out normally, uh, you know, pick up my daughter from school, make dinner, homework, the whole shebang. And then about 1030 at night, when I knew she was sleeping, I said, we have something to talk about because I came across some things while I was unpacking today that I really am confused and need clarification around. And, you know, he's like, okay. I said, well, I found remnants of another woman underneath the sink. And I would like to know what, what's this about? He said, oh, you were going through my stuff. No, I was not going through your stuff. I said, I was unpacking, getting settled. And I came across these things. Before I could even finish my sentence, I'm on the ground. He's sitting on my pregnant stomach, eight months by now, I'm already. And he has his left hand around my throat with his right hand, closed fist, punching me over and over and over again. And I don't, I'm, I'm squirming. I'm trying to, I guess, wrestle or grapple. And then I hear this voice, mom, mom, a voice that I never heard. It was a scared little girl and it was my scared little girl. And as soon as that registered in my brain, I got this huge hot rush of adrenaline that just swooped through my body. My feet slam on the floor. My hips are thrusted towards the ceiling. My neck is used as a kickstand. He rolls over the top of me. I pop up on my feet. I don't even know how grab, run around the couch, grab my daughter's hand and fly out the door like that barefoot almost middle of the night, boohooing, face swollen, crying. The first light that I see at, you know, in the complex is where I go pounding on the door, begging to use their phone, um, you know, which I did. And I can't not even explain how those, you know, 20 minutes that I was waiting for the police felt like days of just crying and such disbelief, devastation, having no idea what life was or is like, is this even reality? I, I was full of doubts. I couldn't even think clearly. I, I had no idea what to expect, what to do, where to go. No friends, no family, no coworkers, like literally nothing. And so 
you know, the, the police ended up taking him. I had enough marks for, you know, there to be evidence. And I took my daughter back home that night. You know, I, we had a, we had an escape route. I made it like a game. If I say this, you do that. This is where you, this is what you do. This is how you do it. And you go to that same door and knock as hard as you can and ask again, you know, to use the phone. And I will have to say that night is where my entire life shifted forever. I became a different woman, became a different mother, became a different person in, in the world. And, you know, that first night was full of uh, no sleep whatsoever, extensive research on what, you know, to expect what the laws were. I have no idea. I'm in this foreign place, you know, definite nonstop crying. I can't believe this. I can't believe this. Why? I don't understand, you know, begging for strength for, you know, what to do, where to go, how to even go about it. Um, there's, there's, there's definitely a lot there. And I'll say it's 20 years later and, you know, me coming out for the first time this year to talk about my story and share not just my story, but share the growth that I've gone through throughout life because trauma has been a part of my life probably since I was, you know, in, in my mother's stomach, if I mm -hmm. understand her environment at the time. And so from understanding how to cope with such extreme trauma at a young age, but instinctively without being told or shown how or what or, or where to go. I was doing it instinctively as a child. And I'll say that when I became an adult and I thought I had got rid of all the violence and kept myself protected from all the violence to find myself in that situation in my own home, I forgot what those instinctive things were. I was in survival mode. I was in protective mode. I was in 100% independence mode. There was, I was mama bear. And, you know, over the last 25 years, I've done nothing but make mistakes. I've done nothing but seek assistance mentally, emotionally, physically, financially, environmentally, you know, funds were not a part of you know, resources there that were, that was available. Money was not an available resource for me to seek outside help, to seek, um, you know, counselors or coaches. Mental health wasn't even a thing 25 years ago. Emotional intelligence, emotional well-being, those things were just being discovered. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, post-traumatic growth itself is pretty new. Everybody's familiar with PTSD, we all know how it affects us. We all know the long-term effects and PTG is something that people are not familiar with. PTG again is post-traumatic growth. And it's something that anyone can experience. It's a, it's a positive psychological change that we, that we experience after a traumatic event in our life. It's a form of personal growth through through becoming stronger and wiser based on that experience and what we're doing with that strength, what we're doing with that wisdom, how we're, how we're, you know, helping others or ourselves because trauma affects us differently. <clears throat> it mm -hmm. impacts us differently. We respond to it differently. The one thing that brings us all together is how to cope better, 
how to control our thoughts to convert to positive intelligence, to be more demanding and commanding in our inner critic and in our inner voice, in our walk and our belief system. And it doesn't happen overnight. It takes commitment. It takes courage. It takes consciousness. It takes something that you truly desire because you love yourself. Yes. I've never heard of post-traumatic growth. Is that what it stands for? PTG? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I want to go back to you growing up in the city, like in the hood, because I could relate to that because I, I grew up on the Upper West Side of Manhattan when it wasn't really a great neighborhood like if you go there now ooh, this is really nice yeah but in the 70s and 80s not so much and so you see a lot of stuff happening in the street like everything happened in the street right people would fight everything <laughs> they would make out they would whatever it all rolled out into the street eventually <laughs> block parties oh yeah everything was there yeah and then you know I grew up in a 20-story building so the the kids that were in the building that's kind of who you hung out with that and the people you went to school with right and drugs were really prevalent right. I remember dear there were these two boys that lived in my building and that one was really cute and but he got messed up in drugs. It was always like, oh, you know, he got messed up. It's too bad. You know, it's too bad he got into that yeah. stuff. You know. But as when you reflect back on on what happened, especially with the father of your second child, were there any warning signs or red flags that you didn't pick up on or? You know, and thank you for asking that because I had a coworker that asked me the same thing before I left the state. And she said, make sure you get into an escalated argument with him, like blow it up, make sure that you see his temper just because you're leaving everything. Like, and this is what she's telling me, you know, all my friends are at least 20 years older than me. It's like, all my friends are my mothers. I love it. <laughs> well, and, and there's a reason did, for that. There's a reason for that because oh, you didn't yeah. have a mother. So you were looking for mothers or if you don't have a good father or a good mother, like you tend to make friends who are good mothers and fathers because you need that. There's a hole there and you need that. So you go and seek it out. You know, it's interesting that you say that because I, I don't know if I was seeking it. I think I was, I think two things, either I was attracting it. So maybe now it's three things, or I was being blessed unknowingly. That's who was being sent in my path. Mm -hmm. Or I was just so damn mature for my age. I was like their age, <laughs> just a younger number. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was probably something about you because we put out energy, right? And so there was an energy about you and some of these moms probably picked up on it and said, well, she needs me. She needs some help and I'm going to go help her. I'm going to help guide her. I'm going to feed her whatever I can give her. I'm going to give her. 
you know, like that whole concept that takes a community to raise a child, you know, that's, it's wonderful that they, that they stepped in, you know, and it's also protection. I mean, I really feel like as children, we have a lot of protection and I'm talking about angelic, you know, angelic and that kind of stuff. We get protected as a kid. So I believe that as well. Yeah. Sure. Oh my God. Yeah. I know for sure. I was for sure, for sure. So <laughs> yep. <laughs> if we made it out unscathed, yeah. The stuff absolutely. I deal with now, I did have to deal with as a kid. And I know like my angels were like, nope, you're not gonna mess with her today. Nope. Just stay away from her. They did an excellent job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So So I would have to say that. I, I followed I followed those that great idea. I was like, you know what? Yeah, we've gotten into arguments, but you're right. I do I do need to see this. And and I did. I we we got into an argument. I definitely blew it out of proportion to the point where I like packed his stuff and dropped it off outside and all kinds of stuff. And there was no flags. There was no flags. Nothing that and wow. believe me, for me to give up every single thing that I had ever known in my life, I already made it out of the hood. I, my situation, my environment was like perfect. There's no way I would have jeopardized any of that. If I even had an inkling of a sign that there was a, abuse or violence behind that man. So isn't it amazing? I mean, that's like Oscar level acting that there are just people out there that act a certain way and they're like, professionals at it they have a mask and you can't see through the mask but I feel like the more charming a person is the more suspicious I am of them because that charming person that everybody loves they try to appeal to your ego a lot of the time which doesn't work for me and automatically makes me suspicious well maybe it's because I'm from New York I'm suspicious but, you know, you know, you're a city girl, you're kind of suspicious all the time, right? So those kind of charming people, I'm always like, there's something wrong with them. They're overcompensating for some kind of lack and they're trying to charm everybody. And I, I do not like those people at all. Was he charming or anything like that? Or he just appeared normal? You know, yeah, because while you were saying that, I'm like, was was it that way? And I, I don't feel because I was not like all goo goo gaga and love, you know, being being showered with all these affirmations and, you know, that kind of stuff. I, I would say that, you know, it, it just seemed he just seemed very average. It was normal, you know, um, the, the sad part, the very absolute sad part is you know, I did reach out to his mom and a couple of mutual people, you know, friends that we both knew almost, you know, about probably about a week after he, you know, was arrested and stuff and shared with them what happened. I, I was, it was three people, three women, his mom and two family members. And 
all three of them knew that he had that violent streak. And I said, why didn't you say anything to me? Why in the world did you not tell me anything? I thought that we, you know, and that's the thing too, is that you think you get along with somebody. You think you're cool with somebody. You think that there's like this womanhood that would tell, talk to another woman, woman to woman. I mean, you know, long story short, I believe, I believe that they were also afraid Mm-hmm. And therefore felt that if they would have said something because of who I am and how I am, I probably would have confronted and confronted is not a negative thing. Confronting means you care enough to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. And they probably felt that, you know, I would do that. And they didn't want to feel or be a part of those ramifications. If that, you know, if that's a place. Yeah. So yeah really unfortunate. And then of course there was a huge part of me that was like, Oh my gosh, he waited until I had nothing. He waited until I gave up everything, you know, going back to what you were saying is like how people put on this persona. Right. And and that's where I went more so than, Oh, what a sweet talker. And you know, he was so charming and no, it was more like he was very calculating. It was almost, almost like it was premeditated. It was like, as if I was preyed upon because um, maybe I looked like a challenge or maybe I looked as if I was weak because I didn't have certain things in my life or because I was, you know, a very independent person. I don't know, but whatever those assumptions were, they were all wrong <laughs> because I, I, I'm a fighter and I'm a mother. Don't go there, you know, especially don't un- ever mm-hmm. underestimate a woman, Me too. Period. Me too. I have those conversations with my, be- my best friend and we're like, if we have daughters, so we both have daughters. We say, if anybody threatens our daughter, the safety of our daughter, we feel sorry for them because the first person I'm calling is my friend and we're going to be like, what's the plan? Yep. Yeah. Ma- huge mama bears. Huge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, what I, what I will also share is um, some things about trauma. We stop trusting, we, you know, have this extreme independence, everything has to be done through, through us, because I cannot rely or trust or give, right. Um, You know, there, there, there's a lot of different, you know, human natural responses that we're not even considering. And as long as they're not harming you or the ones that you love, you're just going through the motions is, is what I like to say, because there's no such thing as feeling guilty behind being natural. And so I would, I would say that some of that is self-sabotaging the trust that you lack after going through a traumatic experience in life is ultimately your, your ability to trust yourself because you're second guessing yourself, you're doubting Mm -hmm. your decisions or your judgments, or you're not, you're not sure anymore. Like all of a sudden you not punked yourself, but you're just like, okay, I was wrong. And holy crap, how did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's where I, and, and that's where I also go to really understanding that you only have the ability to control yourself. You really only have the capacity to control yourself. So while something is happening to you, that's outside of your control. That's when you're a victim. That is when you're a victim. Once you realize that it was nothing you could have controlled, then 
you were victimized. As soon as you accept that, as soon as you acknowledge that you had no control over that situation and that there was nothing else that you could do to change or prevent that, that is when you are starting your your post-traumatic growth because you're no longer seeing yourself or identifying yourself as a victim. You're now saying, I was victimized, Mm -hmm. you know? And then from there, when you realize I'm not ever going back to that situation, I will never be in that situation again because I do know how to prevent or mitigate or see it or smell it before it happens. Now, now you're on your way to personal growth. Now you're actually thinking about maybe not what you do want, but your absolutes, what you don't want, your absolute Mm -hmm. Mm non-negotiables, you know? So, so that is the absolute beginning of your journey on in and on post-traumatic growth. And, and, and it's not easy when I don't want to say the dust settles, but it's not easy when your your mindset and your emotional well-being are on the battlefield, when your mind and your heart are at war because you really, really want and desire, but you're full of these, I call it a blanket of doubts that just wrap around you and keep you really warm inside. You know, it's hard to come out of that. And it just, it keeps, it keeps coming back to you, how you see yourself, how you trust yourself, how you're going about your day. What, how are you talking to yourself? Mm-hmm. How you're talking to yourself are your affirmations good and or bad. And then how you're, you know, how you are affirming by talking to your, to yourself or about yourself to others, then that becomes a belief system. And what happens with your belief system? You walk in it, you respond to it. You have expectations within it. You're accusing people because of it, you know? So it's really getting things back into alignment and it's not hard. We think we have to pick ourselves up off the floor and we do, you know, we do have to pick ourselves off, off the floor, but we don't have to do it by on our own. You know, you can, you can reach out for that hand that's helping you up off the floor. It's just a tool. It's just a tool. Same thing as, as, you know, medicines or different things that we utilize to help us get through whatever it is that we're getting through. You don't have to do it all on your own. There is help out there and it's nothing to be ashamed about. It's really not. There's so, so many people that are ashamed of their, of their story of their traumatic event of their, you know, domestic violence of their pain of their suffering when trusting other people with their heart, with their emotions and what they end up going through, you know, as a result of it, when it doesn't pan out in their favor, you know, and, and it's, it's nothing to be ashamed about, you know, we're not taught narcissism in school. We're not taught how to identify financial abuse or physical abuse or verbal. There's a lot of things we're not taught along the yeah. way. Here's you know? a term that didn't really exist or was known about or used about 20, you know, 25 years ago, gaslighting. Mm-hmm. You know, we're very familiar with that now, but there wasn't really a word for that. We weren't really right. aware of it, right? So That's right. How, do, how do you move on from being totally blindsided by this guy how do you trust yourself again how do you learn to trust that you have the right instincts right so like I had shared in the um earlier on 
I did lose a lot of the that instinctive response or outlook that I had as an innocent child. And I can't explain how I lost it. Maybe it was just because I was older and I knew more. So I was more confused instead of clear. Um, but I did a lot of self-help. I didn't have, fi- I didn't have finances to pay, to go talk to anybody. What mm-hmm. I did was I went to the library to get workbooks. I worked through like abandonment issues. I worked through, um, you know, trying to figure out how to not stay sad all the time and question everything that you're doing, but how to really get that, how to talk to yourself. And I didn't really, I can't say that I really went to the library to get those types of books that came from those mothers in the hood when I was growing up, you know, because there's a lot that you go through a lot that you see a lot that you need to defend and deflect and be aware of when you walk outside, when you're in, when you're walking those streets. And Mm -hmm. if you are not, if you are not, if you do not have situational awareness, if you are not instinctively feeling what is danger, where not to go, if Mm -hmm. you're not listening to that, that is where we get derailed. And for me personally, I would have to say that that's what was happening to me. I wasn't listening to myself, even though I was there, you know, talking to myself, the right things, right? I just wasn't listening. I was ignoring. So what ended up happening for the first 10 years was just absolute no nonsense. It was a schedule. It was about the clock. It was what had to be done. Everything was like to the minute, to the hour, to the day, to the week, to the month. Like there was no room for anything outside of the structure that I had because I'm laser focused on, you know, providing, protecting, feeding, taking care of. I never went back. I, I, I never went back to anywhere that not where I originally came from in Chicago and not where we have moved, you know, when we first left, I am somewhere completely different different, started from scratch. And all that I was laser focused on was making sure that my little teeny tiny unit of a family was taken care of. So it wasn't until I needed to have surgery on all areas that were used to fight for our lives that night. Um, It was about five years worth of surgeries that I had because I had to wait six months after each surgery, you know, um, all those body parts needed to be repaired. And there I was in disbelief on how I'm still paying physically, financially, mentally, emotionally for some stuff that happened 10 years ago. And it's still very much so prevalent in my life. And my kids are watching this go down. You know, when I say watching this, me, you know, going through these medical issues and stuff. And that was a big, a big pivot time in my life, because when you're on your back and you are not able to go to work and your, 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 your larger world starts to get smaller and smaller, um, you're, you're dealing, you're stuck with your thoughts and, and how to navigate through them. And I just said that there had to be, there had to be better. I didn't want to, I didn't want to continue raising my kids that way. I wanted to give them a childhood where they felt like there could be freedom, like there could be autonomy, like there could be things that are sporadic, you know, and, and, and I felt like I was doing that. I felt like I had shifted and and started doing that and, you know, living by that. And then by the time my daughter was in her twenties, getting ready to leave the house, she said, mom, 
I really, you know, respect and appreciate the mom that you've been all my life. You were pretty much a helicopter mom, even when I didn't, even when I didn't like it, you, you still stayed that helicopter mom. And there were, you know, rough points in my teenage years. She said, and as, as, as close as you were, and as much as I was always able to reach out and grab you, she said, emotionally, you were unavailable. I didn't, do you even have emotions? Like you're emotionless. You're the only person that I know who's emotionless. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? Do you not know like everything that I've done to make sure that I, you know, was checked in and never checked out and always here and always around. And you didn't have to worry about how you were going to eat or where you were going to sleep or if the heat was going to be on or like, blah, 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 blah. And I said, oh my gosh, I cried all night. I had to validate her feelings. I had to really think about what she was saying. I had to really look into myself and I had to accept that she was right. Not just that she's entitled to her feelings, but that she was right about me, that I didn't have ever a bond with any parent to know what I was like missing or yeah, I, I didn't know. You can't miss something you never had. So I didn't know what it was to even mm-hmm. give it. I just knew that I wasn't going to leave her. I knew that I wasn't going to abandon her. I knew that I wasn't going to, you know, inflict all these things that, you know, I dealt with. And so I started looking, I, I started looking into it and I found, you know, the book of the five love languages. And I made her do that with me. I made her take the quiz and so I could learn about her and her about me. And, you know, I, my laser focus shifted to fixing this and not just for her and I, but also, you know, for my other child and for the future of us period. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I started understanding emotional awareness, emotional intelligence. I started understanding mind and body connection. You know, I, I really dug deep into all this stuff. And I will tell you that when I started applying it and following through with it and reaching out with it, she thought I was being sarcastic. She thought I was joking. She took it so many times the wrong way that I had to tell her, listen, girl, you either want (laughs) what you're asking for and you accept that this is not sarcasm, that this is like a real effort to become a real thing, or you push me away and don't get it. Because regardless, I am going to become this person for myself, even though, you know, I started because I wanted to fix this with you. I quickly realized that this is also for me. And I love you for being honest and, and vulnerable and sharing with me, you know, a huge void that that was a part of me wanting to protect. I thought I was protecting your heart. I didn't feel, I didn't never knew I was the one inflicting, you know, such pain in there. And I, I feel horrible behind that. Like my whole life has been around protecting and providing. So it's a, it's close to 10 years later now and we have a great relationship. She's mentally and emotionally healthy. Our relationship is healthy. Like I said, she, you know, I have both of my kids' blessings to do this. Otherwise, I wouldn't be. And it's it's a huge part of the post-traumatic growth because if we have if we were able to go 20 some years and I was that consistent person, and within a matter of five years, that consistency of shifting who I was into who I wanted to become 
to have the relationship I have now, I mean, that's what makes the journey worth it, right? Yeah, totally. So you're, you're a coach now. So tell us a little bit about what you do and who you work with and um, how people can find you or contact you. Okay, thank you. So um, Be Your Incredible Self is my brand and it's all spelled correctly. It's beyourincrediblecelf.com, Be Your Incredible Self on Facebook, Instagram. And the, the funny part about Be Your Incredible Self is actually everybody knows about the Incredible Hulk. Not many people are familiar with the Incredible She-Hulk. She's been around since the 80s. She's stronger. She's smarter. They are the superheroes that have superhuman powers. They are triggered by their emotions. They retreat to avoid becoming a monster and responding. Their environment is what sets them off. I mean, it's like, holy cow. <laughs> I never I never even correlated the two until a couple years ago, started reading about it and was like, what a genius. <laughs> and, um, and the adrenaline, the, the adrenaline that I talk about that night that, you know, mm-hmm. I fought for our lives, that's, that's women have picked up cars off of children because of that adrenaline, like mm-hmm. re- facts, like Google fact it or fact check or whatever it's called. You know, we can do that. It's within us. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's a part of the inner strength that I really like to focus on as well in my programs. And so I've been a life coach for quite some time, you know, over five years now, I never really intended on, you know, starting a practice or coaching people, you know, I'm just a friend and a person that cares. I've coached all my life without even knowing it was a real thing. And I actually pursued the um, studies and certification for the coaching because I needed to help myself. That's how it started. Mm -hmm. Um, And then of course I had a whole bunch of beta, you know, clients because that's a part of graduating and whatnot. And we all stayed friends. We all beta coached each other still and come back with different, you know, tools and techniques that work and whatnot. So that is my whole life coaching approach. That's, that's what, that's kind of where I started, but my foundation, what I really work on is my certified high performance coach through Brendan Burchard. I graduated through his, um, high performance Academy, uh, about a year ago. And that is the foundation for all of my coaching because his coaching is scientifically backed. He has, done so many absolute wonderful great things for people for high performers for high athletes I mean for top end people and for him to have an abundance of information and 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 the 12 pillars that are absolute pillars of our life of the foundation that makes us tick happy clear um to me again that's what I use as my foundation and then what I really emphasize on is that emotional awareness that emotional intelligence that positive thinking in order to control your triggers and the wisdom that I have from being boots on the ground of 30 some years full of trauma and how to apply the tools that actually work to have and live through post-traumatic growth. I help people of all kinds that are looking to seek clarity, have control over their triggers and build the, the relationships that they truly desire. So how do you control your trigger? 
Ah, I do have my own Be Your Incredible Self formula. And that is taking your situational awareness and combining that with your emotional intelligence so that in the moment you are triggered, you have your absolute power in that moment, right then and there to respond or react. And that is a class all in itself, understanding <laughs> situational awareness, understanding where your, your emotions live in your body when you are triggered, and that moment that you are empowered to meet your intended outcome by controlling so your triggers. Is the goal to respond in a calm way or could it be not to respond? Well, and that's where your emotional intelligence comes in, right? Because it's yeah. based on the situation that you're, that you're in. It's mm -hmm. based on what the outcome is that you're seeking and what is best for you at the moment. Not anybody else, you, what's best for you at the moment. Mm -hmm. If you react, you're not thinking it's just knee jerk reacting. When you're responding, usually there's some more thought to it. But you know yourself better than anybody. If you feel like you need a little bit more time to marinate on how you want to respond, then take it. It's your liberty. It's it, that's your life. It's your choice. You have control mm -hmm. over you. Just because somebody's pressuring you or wants to take your power or wants you to be triggered and re and react, don't give them that. That that's yeah. yours. Yeah. You own it. Yeah. So true. Well, thank you, Agape, for being on the show. Um, for the listeners, all her information is going to be in the notes if you want to reach out to her. And thank you for sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope that your listeners believe that there is always a brighter light and that you can always level up. The biggest price you'll ever pay is neglecting your mindset. So don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> good advice thank you for listening if you have a weird experience to share please email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com check out our website on tinakinneyclark.com also we're on facebook and like us on Facebook and share your favorite episodes with your friends and family. I look forward to hearing about your weirdest experience.